You're listening to another podcast. A podcast about horror movies and scary things. You put your headphones on and enter another dimension. A dimension filled with zombies, killers, ghosts, and creatures beyond your imagination. You've crossed over into the realm of mankind's deepest fears. There's an episode up ahead. You've now arrived at Luke and Andy's Nexus of Nightmares. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Luke and Andy's Nexus of Nightmares, the podcast where we talk about horror movies and why we love them and such. I don't know. And such, um, and such, and so on and so forth. Good day I'm and Luke. good night. <laughs> I am Luke, and uh, with me, as always, I have my good buddy Andy. How you doing? Bonjour. Bonjour. I don't speak Norwegian, or I would have said hello. It's probably like it's probably like hello, like H A L L O or something. Sure. Yeah, I, I was hello. not. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got to quickly get into offensive territory here. Hello. Uh, so we've we've just recently here wrapped up. Uh, our Ho Ho Horror series of holiday horror films. And uh, now that Christmas is over, uh, we're supposed to, we're still in December here, you know. But uh, kind of to, to round out the month, we're, uh, we're not doing a, a Christmas horror movie, but we are going to do a very wintry, cold horror movie. Yes. Yes, we we may. Uh, this may be the first in in not necessarily a consecutive order, but in a in in you know in several of of cold isolationist people scared of something because that seems to be a theme in winter horror movies, not Christmas horror movies, but winter snow set horror movies. You know that that isolation. It's, yeah, it's easy. We're doing it's thirty still- days of night next. That's that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> It's it's uh it's a lot easier to be isolated in the wintertime, so that makes sense. Exactly. Um so yeah, that movie of course is is the classic nineteen eighty two John Carpenter film, The Thing. Or, one of or my, if you're one of my absolute your, favorites. If you're French, La Thing. La Thing. Um Yeah, so John Carpenter's the thing. Pretty excited to be doing this one. This is uh yes. this is one of my Favorite horror films of all time, and of uh, all time, of all time. I, I'd Strong say, statement. I mean, I know, but I mean, I don't even remember the first time I watched this. It had to have been sometime in junior high, but ever since, it's it's uh, it's stayed in my top three for the last twenty odd some years. Um, it was number one until you saw Thirty Days of Night, and then it dropped. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're really uh, really going hard on. It's on, stuck uh, in my brain now. On thirty days a night. Yeah. Just all Josh Hartnett. <laughs> all Josh Hartnett all the time. All the time. Best of. Best the of the faculty. That's the second. That's number two. <laughs> and then the thing. That makes sense. <laughs> well, the obviously. <laughs> Well, this is one of your favorite movies of all time. I, as I told you, I haven't seen it in probably twenty years. I haven't seen it probably since the last time you and I watched it together, which was Jesus, really? 
a long time ago. That's insane. Yeah, this is one that, I mean, yeah, I've definitely been watching this for, you know, like I said, over 20 years. And I, I feel like I've seen it. I've had to have seen it at least 20 times. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know how it became, uh, such a, such a favorite of mine. I mean, other than the fact that, how, you know, how great it is and everything, but like, I don't know, it, it just always stuck with me and it's, um, I mean, so, you know, we're both fairly big John Carpenter fans. Don't lump no. me in with that <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> At first, I thought you were going to say we're we're both fairly big assholes, but <laughs> which that is not that I'd be more inclined that, to that agree. That you would have been all right with. Yeah, I'd have been. Yeah, um, yeah, he's not wrong. But uh, and and so this is, I mean, I think to me, this is easily his his best film. I, I you would probably easily. I think I think you might disagree with that easily, but I it's think, not even his best collaboration with Kurt Russell. <laughs> but to me, yeah, like I, I don't know. To me, okay. So Carpenter is this 1982, and Carpenter made Halloween in '78, and then he followed that up with The Fog in 1980, and um, Escape from New York in '81, I think. And then yeah. this came in 82. So he was busy there for a while. Yeah. And, um, and, busy and to me, boy. <laughs> busy old boy. And to me, like, I don't know, just when you watch this movie, I just feel like it, it feels so different than anything he had done up to this point, you know, in 1982. But also, I feel like he never really made anything quite like this after this movie came out either. Yeah. Like, I feel like it just kind of like, even within his own kind of body of work, I feel like the thing just stands out, you know, as as very unique and different. And, and just like, I think thematically and even like tonally, I think it just feels different than a lot of his other movies. And especially like, and we'll kind of get into that later. um, But I, I feel like he really changed after this movie came out. Yeah. Like, I feel like his movies after The Thing were quite a bit different. Um, well, I mean, it's his first major motion picture, essentially. It's his first right, non-independent Right, with movie. a big production company, yeah. And, and, and he didn't write the screenplay. Right. And he didn't, well, I mean, he didn't really do the music either. I mean, I think he still kind of contributed yeah. a little bit, but... But yeah, he didn't do the music either, really. Um, so it's kind of one of those weird, weird movies where it's like his sole directing effort. So you wonder how yeah. much, what, how much influence that had over how the 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 picture. I'm gonna talk like a 1950s <laughs> uh, executive at MGM. I say you wonder how that how that had an influence on how the picture turned out. Have you seen the new John Carpenter picture? Have you seen the new John Carpenter picture? Um, I'm trying to think of a of a of a term for a woman, you know, back in those days. Doll, you're going to be in pictures. There we dame. go. Dame, dame, that dame's going to be in pictures. <laughs> Gal, um, Gal. <clears throat> speaking of, there are no women in this movie. Which there is, is not a single woman, except for too. 
The voice so, of Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. As the computer, very briefly. As the computer, yes. Who Carpenter, I think, was dating at the time, right? Yep. Um, She's most, I mean, she was in The Fog. Right. Uh, and I think she was in a couple of his other pictures. Pictures. But uh, she's, Barbeau. I always think of her when I, and this is maybe a movie that might, it might fit into this. We might be able to do this one. Might be it might be one of the few superhero movies that would fit into to this podcast, um, but she was the 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 uh, damsel in distress in Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. I my when when you said a superhero movie that would that would fit with this, I th- I I immediately thought of Dark Man, but um, I didn't think she was in that. So no, no, yeah, um, no. Swamp Thing. No, I've never seen that. Swamp Thing. That's a that's a that movie that movie was pretty fucked up. Gave me nightmares. Really? Was that? I mean, it's not. If you watch it today, you're. It's not. But it's was got. That, a, uh, it's one of those weird, those tonally weird film grain nineteen late nineteen seventies early nineteen eighties movies that kind of like. You know what I mean? It's got that weird film graininess and that weird aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Wait, was that? Uh, that wasn't Wes Craven, was it? Did he do that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd never seen that though, actually. Um, and it's got uh, Palmer. Palmer. <laughs> I can't think of his real name. I from, can't. Think. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Mister Mr. Palmer from uh, from Twin Peaks. <laughs> the mur- the the murderer. If you've not seen that forty year old television show. Pa- I thought you were talking about Palmer from The Thing, because there's a character no, named no. Palmer in The Thing. There was. Yeah. I really should have watched that movie before we did this podcast. <laughs> I really have been relying Palmer. on you to kind of describe to me what's happening and I just kind of throw in Palmer is Palmer is the the, you know, the uh, he's the guy always smoking weed. I know Palmer is a character, you jackass. <laughs> I was talking about Palmer, Mr. Palmer from Twin Peaks and I can't think of what the fuck his name was. I don't know character but, names from that show. Are you crazy? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> apparently. I don't even think I even watched the all of the first season of that show. Well, you didn't miss much. Or was there only one season? And there was did, two seasons. And then they did movies. I, I don't know. Yeah, that too. Why are we but talking anyway, about Twin Peaks? Get the fuck out of here. Swamp um, Thing. Swamp because thing. we got on Swamp Thing. We, we went to Adrian. You said That's there's no right. women in this movie. And I right, said Adrian right, right. Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau. And then I said Adrian Barbeau Adrian was in was in the fog, and she was in Swamp Thing, and then we started talking about Palmer, Laura Palmer, Mister Palmer. What? <laughs> What's happening? Let's not forget that Adrian Barbeau also did the voice of Catwoman in the animated series Batman: The Animated Series. I can't you can't forget something you never knew. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, see, so yeah, yeah. I can't forget it, and a lot of other people can't forget it. And now you know that, and you will never. You sure it wasn't T.K. Carter that was the voice of T.K. Catwoman? Carter, Nalls, Nalls. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's a, it, it's, a, it's actually a pretty great cast of mostly people that you don't know. <laughs> like, mostly people that you don't know, but you might recognize. Yeah, you might like some of them are you know. I know I've seen like Copper. And other stuff, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was in a, he was in a good amount of stuff. And I, uh, I, I recognize his nose ring. Nose ring. <laughs> I don't know. 
I, I guarantee you it wasn't until I watched it on Blu-ray for the first time that I even noticed he had a nose ring. No. There's no way no. you would notice that, even on DVD quality, probably. I didn't notice it until like three quarters of the way through the movie, and I was like, what the fuck is going on it with is his an, face? It is an odd detail for that character. It is a strange... A strange detail. Because like the guy interestingly in his fifties or sixties, I don't know. Not that you can't have a nose ring if you're in your fifties or sixties. It's just a strange thing. It's just especially in nineteen eighty two, like a, a fifty two year old man yeah. who was born nineteen thirty something is gonna have a nose ring. <laughs> right, it's just right. it's just a strange <laughs> right. like you said, it's a strange detail. Yeah. Um now, interestingly, I've never seen the remake reboot sequel from twenty eleven. I don't know if you have. I have. I've heard it's not good, but uh, I have heard that one of the details from that that came out. They all have nose was, rings. Was that they all have Every nose rings. Every single character has a nose ring. <laughs> Which I find interesting. It's like an alternate universe where <laughs> Dr. Copper's influence has been spread throughout all of humanity. No, there was like a, there was like a, a one of the, so in, in, in the original 1982 version, there's nothing, there's no way to know. Now, I'm going to put a caveat around this. There's no way to know that someone is a thing or not. Uh-huh. They're, they're a perfect imposter. Now, my caveat is I'm not sure. I feel like I feel like that there's a chance that people who are a thing don't have a butthole. <laughs> now, I didn't get a good look at that dog oh my God. as it was running. But I feel like that, that is, might be an indication. Like, like have you ever seen Coneheads when he get when 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 Dan Aykroyd's character gets out of the shower and he doesn't have a butt, he oh has no God. butt crack or anything. I think that's I that's, not that's an indication. Heads. You've never and, seen the movie Coneheads, and now I'm kind of glad I've never seen it. After that, there's a scene where Dan Aykroyd's character gets out of the gets out of the shower and you see his butt, and he's got no butt crack. No butt crack. So apparently, Coneheads have no butt crack. That's weird. So that's what I picture for the thing is that there's just no, <laughs> that is no not, butt. That is not where I was expecting you to go with that. I was thinking you were going to say something like have some sort of valid. No, there uh, is a valid point. Okay, but in reality, in the, in the 2011 movie, they claim that the one of the things that you can identify it as is the thing doesn't doesn't integrate any like external devices so if you have a nose ring or an earring right um or or something like that it doesn't a cock ring it doesn't if you got one (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't include that if you got the assimilation keep on it if you got to keep on it don't don't take it off (laughs) don't take it off Uh, so so that's so so then the question is you know was that a I, I'm 99.9% sure that it was not, but was right. that a, was that a thought that was coming into their heads during that, during the original? And that's one of the reasons he has a nose ring is like an indication like, oh, like a, you know. A subtle, yeah, a subtle indicator that he is not. Right. Uh, an imitation, which he, right. which he isn't. Uh, he he gets, never is, no. He gets his arms cut off, dies, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So, so he's is. dead. So he's dead. Um, so so I guess, I mean, we don't need to go over the whole plot, but I guess just to mention, the whole point of this movie is they're trapped. This this research team is trapped in in this facility 
with this alien creature in the Arctic that came, huh? In the Arctic, in the Arctic, with this alien creature that came to them in the form of this sled dog, right? Um, and 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 they also brought a specimen back of their own volition from from another site that was right. also alive, um, but but trapped with this creature that can mimic any living thing. In a, in a matter of moments can kind of transform into them, absorb them and make it and, and make it obvious that 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 make it not obvious that they were ever there. Right. Essentially. Right. I mean, in the one scene when when uh, uh, Bennings 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 when Benning, Bennings Bennings <laughs> when Bennings gets changed. Uh, window shows up and sees him like all bloody and shit. And then, like, runs to get the other guys and goes back. And it's like the whole fucking scene has been mopped. Like, yeah. the blood on the ground is yeah. gone. And, like, the, and like everything. The, it's like a fucking str- cleaning crew is the in there. Strawberry preserves on the ground. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, and I don't no, know if that's mostly, I don't know if that's like a continuity error. I have a feeling it's probably just a continuity error. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's, not so much that he cleaned up after himself. Well, but later maybe. when you see later when they do the blood test, we're kind of zooming through a bunch of stuff here. We should slow down, but later when they do the blood test, there's a shot of the petri dish on the ground and the blood, the thing blood kind of f- falls out of it and it slides across the floor like it's trying to get to like somewhere oh, else. Oh, like, so, like a T2 style. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> all the metal. yeah. So each individual part, every single cell right. of the thing, quote unquote, is right. alive and right. can Yeah. Oh no, I understand. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure you do. You say you've seen this movie 20 times, but I'm I'm feeling like I need to explain this to you. Uh um no, it's uh, But we do need to talk about and not right now, but I want to make a note, mental note, those of you who are listening. Put a fucking bookmark in in here and and remind me. Remind in, me in a little bit that we need to talk about like the pathology, the physiology and the and the kind of uh, transformation aspects of the thing because I'm not gonna lie, it's confusing as fuck. Yeah, and I'm not sure that there's not continuity issues with that. But I'd like to just I'd like to get into some dis- discussion with that uh, with you about that because there were some times where I was like, what the fuck does how does this work? Yeah, well, and I think I need I think- three. I just need Luke. I'm gonna cut you off for the last time. <laughs> I need three fucking rules. I need it. Just it has to be three Gremlin rules. style. It's got. It's always got to be three rules. If there's not three rules, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And even if it is three rules. Like gremlins, you're still not going to know what the fuck's going on, it's not, and it's not going to make any sense. <laughs> what time? What? What do they mean after midnight? I don't understand. <laughs> you can't. What do they mean? The whole the whole planet's going to be assimilated in in twenty thousand four hundred and seventy eight hours. The I don't thi- understand how long that is. The thing cannot assimilate you after midnight. He just can't. Just can't. Can't do it. He won't, won't do, do it. it. He just won't do nope. it. Um. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, now that we've got the kind of the basic, uh, plot out of the way, I'm sure anybody who's watching this knows the story. Um, it's actually, so I, I just got around to reading the original short story for the first time, which yeah. I'm surprised I'd never done. Um, cause then you had Roald the Dahl? The, Did Roald, Roald Dahl, Dahl write that? Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it's, 
Charlie in the Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Charlie Charlie in the Glass Elevator, and Charlie in the Thang. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, well, no, the original short story was not written by Roald Dahl, but oh. the screenplay for the 1982 version of this film was written by the guy that did the Bad News Bears, and the Bad News Bears goes to Japan. Oh, even better. So you know. Um, <laughs> my boy R.D. did see some fucked up shit in his day, though. That he he lived a life, so he could have written a story like this for sure. Bill Lancaster, son Bill? of son of Bert. Really? Yeah, Bert Lancaster. Yep. And uh, and so so yeah the the so there's the 1950s version, which I don't know if I've ever seen. It was like um, a vegetable monster. Yeah, it's like a vegetable Frankenstein monster. <laughs> <laughs> instead of it's vegetable lasagna um vegetable lasagna <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, so now I'm, I'm gonna tie in with that weird uh with that weird and unexpected seinfeld connection there with the it's fact never that unexpected fuchs but fuchs, fuchs the guy that the, the actor that played fuchs in this movie uh was in it was in a great episode of of uh, Seinfeld where one of the best <laughs> he's the from like yeah one of the later seasons too and he's the he's the uh the guy that tells George hey the ocean called they're running out of shrimp <laughs> <laughs> jerk store uh, um, jerk store guy jerk store yep. guy yeah. his name is Joel he, his Polis. name is his name is Joel Polis and he played fucks in this movie <laughs> Sorry, Fuchs. <laughs> oh shit, Doctor Fox. And you, <clears throat> paging Doctor Fox. <laughs> and you will not recognize him. I mean, he's no, he's got like hair. He's got a lot he's of. Got, hair. He's just he's just got that hardcore late seventies, early eighties look of like the glasses and the beard and the hair and. I kind of think though that. Uh, it's weird. I kind of have mixed feelings about this movie in terms of like, I kind of think in a way it's timeless. Like it kind of has a timeless quality to it where it's, yeah. it doesn't feel like, you know, cause they're in the Arctic. All they've got is like, you know, yeah. their, 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 uh, winter gear on and shit like that. And there, there's not a ton of stuff that like really kind of like, no dates it you know a specific decade the computer stuff computer stuff yeah as a little yeah the the by today's standards the 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 so the, the two computer scenes you see uh mccready playing chess <laughs> which is really just kind of an intro to his character um with some little like slight foreshadowing and then and then, and then maybe J and B Scotch, J and B Scotch, and then maybe the most ridiculous computer scene. Oh God! With um, Brimley, with uh, Wilford Brimley, where he's running. He's the he's the 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 staff biologist, and he's after they discover the thing. He's running a simulation to see how like what it does and how long before it takes over Earth, and it is <laughs> like it's like so. Think of like. CSI or NCIS and like these ridiculous computer like yeah. scenes that they have where it's like where it's having like, a conversation with the fucking yeah yeah and <laughs> it's AI. it's that yeah 
but it's on like a like a Apple Mac like, 2E yeah, like from 1982. <laughs> and it's like knowing that this computer could not do these right. things at this time. And it's just hysterical. And, and, and it's super out of place. And that's but. true because they do, which is weird that they do that, but they do date the movie at the beginning. They do yeah. They do specifically call out that it's 1982, which yeah. I feel like they shouldn't even have done. Why do that? Right. Um, but I agree with you. Outside of those couple things, like the helicopters you wouldn't know were 40 years old. The... Um, the uh like the the tractors and stuff that they yeah. have you wouldn't know were 40 no. years old like none of none of the rest of that stuff seems out of place or dated they don't have like video like video games or anything or tvs maybe a little dated yeah but they then got the vcr or whatever that is but that, that you, wouldn't even you be VCR, also figure like yeah what, but what, you what, also what? figure like at a place like that in the arctic they're not going to have you know an 80 inch plasma right. screen tv or something which plasma <laughs> true, that true. fucking dated that too that's 20 years ago but you know what i mean yeah yeah um yeah, they're but, not going to yeah. ha- necessarily have maybe the top top of the line uh, recreational technology, right. you know. Yeah, um, it's easy to believe that this movie could be fairly recent, and they would still be using all the same stuff that they have up there because they would just bring it up there and leave it up there. And if it's working, it's working, and that's just what they would use. Right. Yeah. It's not. It. it yeah. You could go into the. You can go in and look at it. You know. You deep, really deep get into a really detailed look at oh that that's dated that's dated and pin, pinpoint yeah. things like that, but oh, but I I think overall when you're watching it you're not necessarily consumed by those details no. by those minor details. Um, There's nothing that really pulls you into a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing really from my perspective that that would do that was would be Wilfred Brimley's lack of a mustache. But. <laughs> Uh, Which is in in many ways more terrifying than the thing itself. <laughs> uh, and and I mean, and and McCready's McCready's uh, sombrero is timeless. It yeah, is for sure. So, I mean that that's coming back. The urban sombrero. <laughs> <laughs> the urban sombrero. The urban sombrero. Oh shit. Um. But yeah, no. So, I, have you seen the 1950s version? No, okay. I've not seen. I think I've I didn't know that. I didn't know that this version existed until two weeks ago <laughs> when you told me I had to watch it. Uh, but I, I've, I, I think I've seen it. But anyways, yeah, it's. I have seen it. You know, I'll take it back. I have seen it. Really, I've it's, seen clips of it in it, the 1978 film Halloween. Ah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's a clear. Uh, there's almost like a absolute like the 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 title sequence, the title card of the thing is yeah. is exactly the same. Um which is a crazy story about how they did that effect. Yeah. Involving uh They lit a bag of dog shit on fire. <laughs> involving a an aquarium like filled with smoke and a, a garbage bag lighting a garbage bag on fire. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Whips, chains, yo-yos. <laughs> My grandma would ride by on a bicycle, give me the finger. And a duck. Uh, <laughs> and a duck. But um, but yeah, so I, I just recently read the original short story and and yeah, it's it's the nineteen eighty two version of the is is pretty close. It does a pretty good job of it. Um, there's you know there's a good there's a, a number of differences, um, but overall it's it's uh 
yeah, Carpenter did a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good adaptation of it, and probably actually improved certain aspects of the story. I would say, um, but but it, I mean that that book was written in 1938. That that short story came out, which is insane yeah. to think about. You and, know, it's funny that it's it's funny that you mentioned you're you kind of tickled my brain with some of the things you're saying um and the first one was that like so this movie is not a remake of that of that movie it's more of an adaptation of yeah a truer a truer adaptation of the short story yeah but it's really weird how some of that stuff kind of coalesced because as we mentioned this is not this is not John Carpenter had been making independent films before this and kind of coming up with the ideas and deciding what he wanted to do and blah blah blah. And this is not that. This movie was in development at Universal under under, under other people. Yeah. Toby Hooper is one of them. Toby Hooper at one point. Who was gonna make it like a comedy. Yeah. It was gonna be like a dark horror comedy that, that sort of thing. Very strange. The idea was kind of cool that it was like a Captain Ahab. It was like the thing was like a a monster and it was like a Captain Ahab, like tracking down this alien or whatever. But, you know, it would have been a totally different movie. Yeah. Just like, what's the point? Like, why even call it the thing? Why? You know. Right. So it's, it's, but it's interesting that, that this is number one, that, that, John Carpenter kind of wanted to bring it back to the original, you know, him and him and Bill Lancaster, you know, kind of brought it back to that original story. Um, but it's interesting that this that this picture was in development at Universal. Picture. And, <laughs> picture. And and but it wasn't John like John Carpenter did not come up. No, it's not. He, he, he didn't come up with this like idea. That. He didn't pitch this. No. Like this is isn't something he went to Universal and was like, we need to make this movie. No. But he's a big fan of this yeah. story, fifth, and he was a big fan movie, yeah. of of the '50s movie, right. to the point where he put it into right, right. <laughs> Halloween. Yeah, and so I just I that kind of boggles the mind yeah. to me that like that worked out for him that he ended up making this kind of remake. Yeah, you know, and and got involved in this, and it was his first big picture movie, big picture picture, <laughs> and. Um, and and it, but it wasn't his pitch. It wasn't his yeah. his kind of you know. It was it was something that Universal was already developing. Right. And yeah. And so you know he he was. And so when this movie came about, when he was when he was kind of offered this you know this directing job on this, um, he was at a pretty good point in his in his career already. Where you know he. I mean, obviously Halloween was hugely successful. The most um, successful independent movie of all time yeah. at that point, and then you know the the fog and and um, Escape from the, New York the, are the, kind of minor classics in a sense, you the, know. The two hundred and twelfth and the and the one thousand four hundred and seventy third most uh, gro- highest grossing independent <laughs> movies of all time at that point. But but yeah, I mean like. So he was so he was in a pretty good place when you know when when he when he got this got this job and 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 this was his biggest budget on any film he had done up to that point I think I sixty four thousand dollars <laughs> sixty four thousand that's so much less than Halloween <clears throat> um, 
And I mean, so they, I think this ended up costing 15 million and a, a million and a half went to the special effects budget. Which that's a funny story. Do you, were you going to, were you going to make that point? Oh, well, I was just going to say like, it's interesting because like here, here he, he was at, I think that's what makes, you know, I mean, we, and you, you mentioned some other, you, you made some other really good points on why this movie is so different for Car- for for Carpenter, yeah. With, within the con- in the context of his overall kind of career, um, the fact that you know he didn't do the music, he didn't have a hand in writing the screenplay. Um, he was working with a big a big studio for the first time. He had a bigger budget. He was also coming off of three successful movies, where I think he had a good amount of confidence, you know, too. And so he yeah. went into this and just kind of like. He had he, not only did he have confidence, but I also think he also had he also had some pull, you know, with the yeah. the studios where he could kind of do what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and he was at a point in his career where they weren't going to bring him in to make a movie and not give him what he wanted. Right. Exactly. Like he's a, he's a he's successfully making independent movies. Right. He's not going to come make a studio picture and then have you tell him how it's going to go. Like he would. Why would why do that? Right. And so. And so that's why it's, and, and and so then the movie, you know, turns out the way it does, which, you know, we look at it now and it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, you know, a masterpiece in the, in, within the genre. Um, but the movie did, did not do very well, uh, when it came no. out. Um, people, I mean, it would, it would not be mincing words to say that people fucking hated this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh. It was um, it both both uh, critically and kind of with the, the audience too. Um, yes, and so it's kind of it's kind of tragic that you know he got to this point in his career where he made this great movie, and then it just didn't connect with yeah. the audiences or the critics at the time. And I mean, it, to the point where the actors even some of the actors were even like for a period. Kind yeah. of disown the movie. Yeah, yeah, and so which, which is which is crazy. Which is it's really unfortunate. It's kind of and it I it's kind of I feel bad for Carpenter because like he made this great movie that is now considered you know rightfully so a classic. Yeah, but it was it was you know criminally underappreciated at the time, even even to the point where there were immediate consequences. Like he, oh, yeah. he, he, he had a multi, he had a multi-picture deal. <laughs> he yeah. had a multi-picture deal with. John Gobbert is signed to a multi-picture <laughs> deal with Universal this weekend. He had a multi-picture contract with Universal and they bought him out. They didn't even want him to yeah. keep making movies like, for them. And. don't want any more of this shit. <laughs> and he also was like lined up to direct Firestarter. Um, mm. A Stephen, you know, a Stephen King adaptation. And I Which think. Which ended up going to who? Uh. I don't even know the the director's name, um, but yeah, I was going to venture like, a guess, but I won't say it unless I'm right. They fired him. Keep talking. So and yeah, so I mean, like the it was the consequences were were uh, were immediate and 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 quite harsh. Um, they just dropped Mark, him and uh, Mark Lester ended up directing Firestarter. Mark Lester, what else did he do? Commando. Commando. 
I mean, that's kind of what crazy. happened to Sully. I let them go. <laughs> Commando. Um, it's a great movie. But yeah, so it's it's just really kind of, and, and I think that really had an effect on on Carpenter because, you know, I mean that that would kind of be like kind of a mind fuck for for I mean for any artist to like, you know, create something like this, and it's and it's good and and they think it's good, and then it just right. doesn't connect. And it's not appreciated at the time, and 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 you know you don't, I, I feel like you would kind of like be wondering like is it me is am I the one that's like yeah am I the one that's like got something like missing something here like is it yeah am I am I so out of touch with you know and it would make you kind of second guess yourself and your instincts and your you know your you know your uh, approach to things and and I so I think you know when you look at the movies he did after this, I feel like they're so tonally different yeah. than this movie because like there, there were critics that called him like, a, a, a what they call him? a pornographer, a pornographer of yeah. violence or something, you know, like, yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, well, he, he like took that to heart, you know, cause. And I, w- I was going to make two, two points. Well, the first is I wanted to get back to, we talked about the budget, but, um, Universal initially, when he's when he's was going to do the signed on to do the movie, when he signed on to, when he signed on to do the picture, <laughs> picture, um, they offered him a budget of twenty thousand dollars to what? do the to do the special effects. Oh, for the special twenty thousand dollars because that's the most they'd ever spent on special effects. Yeah, and he was like, um, I don't think. And they finally, you know, obviously got it up to a, to a very reasonable amount. Um, but I was going to say, you know, as far as as far as like the you know the whole the whole reviews of this movie, you know, I think it's funny, you know, not to get too political, but I think it's funny that you know nowadays we get this whole this whole like a this whole concept of like woke culture and then you then cancel culture and blah, 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 and all these different things. But, you know, 40 years ago, they did the same shit. It was just different. You know, it was just in a different way. This, that's exactly what happened to this movie. It got fucking canceled because, (laughs) because people, people found it disturbing. You know, people, people that initially saw it and initially reviewed it were like, this is, disturbing and grotesque and nobody should be subject to this and yeah. people just wrote it off yeah and and didn't see it or just made it had opinions on it based on what they heard about it and they wrote it off and then it hit tv and video and that stuff and people started renting it and realizing oh it's not that different than this you know the yeah. same shit that happened in the 70s and the 60s is not any different right it's it's just yeah you, you know, know fucking crazy and, and yeah you go back but, to letting people discover things on their own and and right and that's when it you know that's when it really found its audience yep it makes me wonder not not in terms of like the cancel culture thing you know that you know but it makes me wonder in terms of like movies that are out now that just got an unfair yeah, yeah. just had an unfair 
and I think this about music and, and musical artists too sometimes, but just people that get an unfair rap and then don't get appreciated for how good of an artist or how good of a movie or how good of an album they really are. Right. Um, until, until far later. Yeah. So I'm, I always think about that. Like right now, what, what movie came out in the last, you know, three or four years that not, not, not wasn't seen, not flew below the radar, but maybe was just panned yeah, or right. just looked at in like a bad light that people just were like, ah, it's no good. Right. And, you know, but 10 years from now, people are going to be like, that was actually pretty good. Right. You know, we kind of, you know, it was just ahead of its time. It was just unfairly reviewed for whatever reason. Yeah. And I'm trying I to like, think of like, I'm trying to think of any other like slightly more recent examples of, of that. Yeah. Uh, I know there's some... That, I know that there's some, but I just can't think. I, I can't think of them. I mean, there's all kinds of cult classic movies Anything that just, you yeah. know. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of movies that, like, you know, yeah, we're like, we're panned and, and but. You know. I feel I feel like back in the in these days, especially for a for a studio film like this, it always came down to this sort of thing where it was like, oh, they've got this thing in it. Oh, they, you know, they show they show full frontal male nudity. Nobody <laughs> goes see this movie. It's awful. And then you know, two, twenty years later, it's like it's a great movie. It's just got a dick in it. Like, sorry, <laughs> you know, it's that sort of stuff that you know. I feel like. From from these times, forty you know forty fifty years ago, that really kind of pull that together. You know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that that d- it didn't happen with Black Christmas. Yeah, we talked about Black Christmas. Yeah, that I'm surprised that in nineteen you know seventy four that in that first scene where where the guy calls up and he's dropping C bombs and yeah. like going crazy that audiences didn't get up and walk out of that movie. And critics weren't like, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. And I all, can't believe and, and they also said the this fact that it's like a Christmas movie, you know, it takes place at right. Christmas time too, you know, cause that's a, that's a hot button right there. Yeah, you tur- you right. take Christmas and you kind of twist it and yeah. people don't like that. Yeah. And, and the fact that that movie didn't really get that and didn't really like, get panned because of that is kind of surprising but that was a canadian movie true yeah it, it did it did really well in, in i almost said canadia um it is canadia <laughs> you're correct um but yeah i don't think it did as well in in the in the states but yeah the, but true it, it didn't have like the backlash that like weirdly the thing did um but anyway we're getting down a whole rabbit hole here of yeah and not talking enough about Keith David. <laughs> or Mr. Rob Botin. Rob Botin. Let's talk about him. So, because he's a glorious looking dude in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Rob Botin uh, is the the mastermind behind the the practical, all of the practical effects in this movie. Yes. And he was very, very young. Uh, when he when this came out, uh, when he made twenty two, twenty two years old, and, and he, but uh, he had studied under Rick, sweet baby Rick Baker, sweet, your 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 best friend. I, I love Rick Baker. He seems like a he seems like a sweet boy. Um, and he looks and and Rob Bottin looks like an American werewolf in does. whatever country he happens to be he in at the like, time. He looks like 
I don't know if he looks more like a werewolf or a, a Sasquatch. He's a hairy. <laughs> he looks like a Teen Wolf, which is kind of a combination <laughs> kinda, of both. He's got the he had, he he went through a phase there with the feathered. He had the feathered, feathered. long locks. And, yeah. Um, yeah. but uh, and he looks like a fucking professional wrestler. Is what he looks like. He's a beast of a man. But yeah, at the age of, I was reading, at the age of 14, he submitted illustrations to Rick Baker, who, who then hired him. He hired him. He just hired, like, I just feel like yeah. you can't do that shit these days. Like, no. I, I, I'm always, like, reading stories like this from, like, from, like, back from like decades ago where like pe- people would do this type of shit. I'm like, that wouldn't, that could never happen now. Yeah. Like it's like Cameron, like Cameron Crow. What was the, you story know, he that? was like, well, he, when he was like, he was like a teenager and he was like, he like wanted to write for Rolling Stone or oh, whatever. Oh like yeah. Yeah. Did all that shit and, and ended up getting a job and putting out a column and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, who, <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, kids are doing stuff on their own now. And like, Right. You know, social media and stuff, but still, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and this but is yeah, also it, long Rick, ago. You know, you're not. You, there's no. There's no email. There's no internet. You're just yeah. fucking writing letters. You know. Yeah, Rob Bottin was writing letters, and then he was he was going and working for Rick Baker and sticking his hand in <laughs> hydraulics, getting them crushed and smoking cigarettes. And <clears throat> but he was saying, Rob Bottin said when he was seven, he knew what he wanted to do. Really. He said he knew what he wanted to do since he was seven. When he was, and then when he was fourteen, he wrote that letter, and then he started working for Rick Baker. And then by the time he was twenty-two, he was running his own crew, That's making insane. the thing. Yeah, yeah. So he worked on King Kong, and with... then at twenty-three, he was dead. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, he almost I made that up. Almost, I couldn't even get through it. <laughs> he almost died making this fucking movie. He um, he did almost die making this fucking movie. Um, but yeah, he, so. Yeah, he worked on he worked on King Kong the 1976 version of King Kong with Baker, and then Baker recommended that Jessica him, Lang. Yeah, I think so. Jessica Lang and Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels um, was Jeff Daniels in that. I I think so. That sounds right. I've never okay. seen it. I feel um, like I'm just making shit up, but I'm going right. Those on, names I'm going along with sh- you. Um, Faye Ray. What was it? Faye Ray. Faye, Jack Black. Faye Ray. Um. And then I think Baker was supposed to do Joe Dante's Piranha in 78. Oh. And he couldn't do it for some reason. And he recommended um, <clears throat> Botine. And so Botine worked on Piranha with Dante. And then he, he ended up, uh, he ended up doing, he ended up coming back to work with, with Dante for the howling in, yeah. in 1981. So the howling came out in 1981, which has a pretty crazy, fucked up werewolf transformation in that movie um yeah and the same year his mentor rick baker uh had uh american war of london with his own iconic and you know classic uh werewolf transformation in that too. won the academy award for that yeah. bitch, which is pretty crazy which which uh which and, and bitch is not offensive there because <laughs> it's a werewolf <laughs> it's a female werewolf <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> nobody's gonna listen uh, to this no, no. i, I hope I, not I, anyway. certainly not after that line they're just gonna turn no right we're um that's it we're done you but, can't call a female werewolf <laughs> back to cancel culture um yeah but uh but uh what was i gonna say about that shit um they made they made the werewolf movies and they made the werewolf <laughs> pictures in the same year 
I was gonna ask you, what is your what what uh, of the two? Which do you prefer? Which werewolf transformation do you prefer? <laughs> listen, Ricky boy. Listen, Ricky boy. Robbie's got a werewolf picture coming out this same year. We really got to put the pedal to the metal here. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen The Howling, and I can't remember all of the transformations. But I feel like there were some good ones. But yeah, nothing beats that. You know, nothing beats that Credence transformation. Credence. An American werewolf in 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 Paris. In Paris. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It was Credence, right? Uh, Doesn't that song playing on the radio in that scene? Oh no! The, uh, no, not Bad Moon Rising. The it's actually like a weird. It's like a weird song that doesn't really fit with. Yeah, it's like some weird. I can't remember what it is, but it's not. It's not. I don't think it's Credence. I mean, that Credence yeah, is in there. I, don't I remember. think, but I haven't seen that movie in a long time either, to be honest. But, yeah, I'm trying to think of. But that transformation, I can remember distinctly. Yeah, I can't remember that. Wow, that's gonna drive me crazy. The song that's playing when he's transforming. It's more of like it's like an older kind of classic song. Um, I'd say like it, I think it was almost like a, like a like a fifties song or something. I don't know when he's transforming. I mean, nah. all, all I all I remember from that movie is the ex- extended love scene with Van Morrison's Moondance. <laughs> uh, oh boy, um, that's the only thing I remember from that movie. Nothing else. None Speaking of, of none of full Baker's frontal work. male nudity. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I mean, okay, and we're getting off on a tangent here. I actually think uh, it's been a while since I've watched The Howling, so maybe I need to, I, I need to revisit that. I watch American Werewolf in London almost every year. I love that movie. That's another one in my top three with with the thing. Um, but actually, more so, I, more so than the transformation sequence in. In American Werewolf in London, I like. I just love the fucking makeup on the character of Jack, played by yeah. Griffin Dunn. I fucking that's like that's some of my favorite, like makeup, prosthetics, whatever in any yeah. in any horror movie ever. I I fucking love that. Like the little dangling piece of skin yeah. on his neck, and I, I fucking and I love that character, and he's hilarious. But um, but I actually think I might prefer. The uh, the transformation in in the howling, honestly, I think I think what it is about I think Rob Bottin is kind of interesting because I feel like he's a little less polished. His work is a little less polished mm-hmm. and clean uh, as opposed to you know compared to um, Rick Baker. I feel like Rick Baker's is. I, and I love Rick Baker, but like I feel like his work is a little more, a little more clean, a little more polished, a little more like, I don't know, like just very specifically designed. Where I feel like Rob, a little o- too sterile, <laughs> sterile. But I feel like Rob Oteen's work is very is a little messier, a little more chaotic, a little yeah, just kind of crazier, and especially with with you know the thing, um, yeah, and that's what I that's what makes it so you know, makes his work in, in this movie so great is that is that it is so like it's so nightmarish and surreal and bizarre and asymmetrical and like it's just Yeah. It's it it's not 
like I feel like uh, with a lot of horror movies and and just movies in general, anytime you have like some sort of creature, you, you have some sort of design for something. Um, it, it's it's so easy to to have a, a design that is I don't know like it, that is either too familiar to something yeah. that you've already seen or already exists in nature somewhere, um, or or yeah, or it's just like overly designed and, and there's you know but i but with with the stuff that he did on the thing i just feel like it's just like i don't know it just feels so organic mm-hmm. but at the same time so bizarre and 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 just weird and like like something that like like something out of a nightmare something like you look at it and it like doesn't make any sense like you know like right. there's no real f- like yeah. f- natural form to it it's just like yeah and i i love that about like about the stuff in this movie. And I think that's why it's like, it's so effective, you know? Yeah. And I, to me, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think one of the, one of the parts that I find interesting every time I watch it, obviously the dog oh, love, transformation is like, I love that scene. The dog kennel, the scene. key. And, and that was Stan Winston. Yeah. Stan Winston. Because right. Rob Bottin was about to die. <laughs> um, thankfully he didn't. But um, the dog transformation, it's 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 great for a few reasons. It's great because the whole first thirty minutes of the movie revolves around the dog, and you don't know why. Right. So you know that it's a horror movie, but you don't know why they're focused on this fucking dog. I love the dog too, by the way. And then and then that and then the, the dog scene happens, and it transforms, and you're like, oh, you know, that's not right, and. <laughs> One of my favorite parts about the dog scene, well, there's two things I love about it. The first is is has nothing to do with the creature, but the first is the fact that everybody from the f- fucking camp shows up and sees this happen. Right. So I love the fact that that right right out there immediately you just get right out in the open that everybody knows right. that this is what's going on. Like there's no like you know I gotta convince so and so. There's no blah, disbelievers. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> there's no disbelievers. That that's one of the great things that I love about this movie. There's no disbelievers. Yeah. Everybody knows that this, these are the stakes, but nobody knows who to trust. Right. And that's that's the key with paranoia is every, is is the facts are all right there on the table. That's why it's that's why it's such a great paranoia paranoia film because everything is laid out for you. They know the stakes, but they still have no idea how to figure out yeah. who the hell is who. Right. And they still don't know who to trust. And that's that's paranoia in a nutshell. Right. Is you you just you can't you know what's happening, but you can't trust your senses. You can't trust your what what you see and and hear and 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 even those around you. So I love that. Yeah. But as far as the creature goes, the other thing I love is when the two like creepy ass arms <laughs> sprout out that are like legit. Like you. And the reason I love it is because in your mind. I put myself back in the mind of an audience goer in 1982 and I get to that point and I'm like, this movie's fucking terrible. Why did I even come see this? Because obviously I'm an audience goer in 1982 and that's what they all thought. No, I put myself in the mind of an audience goer in 1982 and I'm like, this is it. This is where I, oh, this is the alien. I'm going to get to see what the alien looks like. And then it kind of pulled like, cause it seems like this is the alien's hand. Like, like this thing is turning into some kind of monster that's going to like attack. Right. But it doesn't. It grows these hands and kind of like starts to like pull itself up and like go through this crazy transformation. 
but it never like evolves beyond that. And it continues to be like this thing that you just, like you said, it's just constantly changing and yeah. surreal and nightmarish. And, yeah. and so I feel like, I don't know if it was intentionally a red herring, those two creepy ass hands that come out and kind of pull it up, but it, it works as one for me where it's like, oh, you're going to see this alien creature kind of take shape. And like, no, there's, there is no alien creature. The alien is whatever it wants to be. Right. Yeah. And, and, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be yeah, the 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 true form of the alien or just something that right. something additional that sprouted some, off from it and because yeah some intermediate state because at that point the thing just hauls itself into the into the ceiling just to get the fuck away yeah. from you know McCready and his shotgun and and right. um, I mean that's yeah and so I mean I was gonna I wanted to talk about that too because that whole that whole scene that whole dog kennel scene. Um, is one is my favorite scene in the whole movie, and um, because it's just <clears throat> to me, it's just the most well executed scene. Like if yeah. like everything about it, like just the way, just the progression of that scene, the way that it's edited, um, and just the just the evolution of like the the things that happen in within that within that scene. You know, like you start with like the dog, which the dog is so fucking great in that movie, like yeah. just spooky. And, you know, I don't know, just the way that that dog moves and stops and looks and yeah. just everything is just like so great. And so you already have just like this, you know, when Clark brings the dog in to the kennel and like, and he just kind of like stands there and just the, also just like the way that they light the dog too, like some of yeah. those shots too, where like the light is like off of his face off of the dog's face and and then he just goes and like sits in the middle of the pen of yeah, this like cage down. he just lays down and just stares straight ahead and then like and then Clark leaves and then you have the other dogs in the kennel like start to you know get disturbed and unsettled and like and like that I mean that's just that's just such a great build up because at, at that point in the movie nothing has really I mean things have happened but nothing where you've seen the actual creature you know right. um and so, like, you don't know what, you know, what to expect or anything. And then, like, the shit starts hitting the fan. And, and I don't know. I mean, like, just just every... There are other parts of the movie with special effects, with, you know, practical effects and stuff like that, that, to me, I don't know. They're... They're not my favorite. They're not... I don't... I, I, I feel like there are there are some scenes and some... Uh, some executions of of the effects that I that I don't think hold up as well. Um, but yeah. this whole sequence is so good, and um, and just yeah, like the the way that the the dog trans transforms, and then and it just and it keeps evolving too. Like you know, it, at one point, well, it's like the first the dog's face just kind of like splits open, and yeah. and then like and then later you have like the the creepy like when when the guys come in and kind of interrupt the process of him, of, of the, th of the thing, you know, assimilating the dog, then you have like that, the kind of like puppet, the like kind of like fleshy dog puppet head thing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I love, and I just love like, I love that shot too. Like that, that low shot, like on the ground where like all the tentacles come like spilling out of like yeah. the dog and, and then, and then also the other the great thing about that 
that whole scene is like like the fake dogs in that are are, are really well done. Like like a lot of times yeah. like fake animals. Anytime they you know you do, especially back in you know the eighties, like a lot of times like you know any kind of fake real animal just looks. It just like really, it just doesn't. It looks it doesn't look real you know and like right and the i feel like the work in this is like so well done like there's the shot immediately following the one where i that i just mentioned where like the dog thing is like on the ground and all the tentacles come spilling out and then it cuts to like a shot of like one of the real dogs and he's like covered in a bunch of slime and he's kind of yeah. like writhing around and then all these like tentacles like kind of like spill onto him and it's just like it's just really creepy and spooky looking and and it looks real and then you know and then all the guys start kind of coming in to see all this and McCready starts blasting away with a shotgun and there's like this shot of like one of the one of the dogs who's kind of kind of wrapped up in tentacles and he like gets and he gets like shot in the chest by by McCready with the shotgun yeah and like and that whole that that scene too is like i think really really well done and just how like you have Clark react to that element of it, out. you know, like because he's like, yeah. he's like, you know, his the dogs are like his, you know, his family, and like he like freaks out when he shoots starts shooting the the, the actual dogs, and I don't know, just that, that just adds like another layer, another layer to that whole chaotic scene of all this shit going yeah. on. Just like it adds this kind of like emotional layer, and also kind of adds to the you know you know, that character as well. Um, but yeah, there's just, uh, there's just so much going on in that scene. And to me, it all just like play the way that it's choreographed and, and, and shot and, and how it all comes together, you know, in the editing room, like, I don't know, it, it's, it, it's kind of flawless to me, honestly. It's one, yeah. one of my favorite, it's honestly one of my favorite, uh, horror, like scenes in any horror movie, honestly. Um, just the way that it, just the way that it's executed and the way that it plays out. But, um, I'd say that, that's a good one. I'd say that scene. And then of course the, the scene with Norris, uh, having a heart attack and the defibrillators. That's, those are the two big, big scenes in this movie that are like insanely well done with, in terms of effects and in terms of, you know, block how they, how just how they, you know, the blocking of the characters and and just the, just the pro- the progression and the editing of the of the scene and I don't know, like that that scene is really awesome too. It is, but um, terrifying as well and and iconic. It's like yeah, one of those ones that people just remember that guy. Yeah, you know Charles Hallahan. Charles Hallahan. His face on all these weird animatronics. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, my favorite part from that scene is when the head separates from the from the body. Oh yeah, and 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 not so much the shot of it separating from the body, but the shot of it like lowering down to the floor. Yeah, like looks so good. I mean, it it looks it looks just like the guy, the actor, you know. Yeah. And like, and, oh, and yeah. the movements are, are very fluid too. And it's just like, it's fucking eerie and creepy. And then when the head gets like onto the ground and the tongue kind of like whips out, I don't even know how the fuck they did that. No, like a, comp- I don't like know a either. Ho- like a hose with like compressed air in it. Or something. I don't know. But then it like, it kind of like whips around and then it goes, whoosh. <laughs> like, yeah. and it like connects to like something and he, 
hauls himself across the floor. I don't even know how the fuck. I know that it. some of the some of the ones on the dog, some of the the tentacles like that were were whips, actual really? whips. Yeah, yeah. And I know they did some reverse, like they reversed the film. They they did the film you know, uh, ran the film backwards. Uh, right. Like so, they had like the shot of like all of the like tentacles piling up on top of that one dog. They had them on yeah. there and they pulled them away and then they ran it in reverse. And that's how it just kind of has more of, of a fluid effect to it. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's these, those, so those scenes are, 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 are a good place to talk about. If those of you who are following along at home, the, the physiology and the pathology <laughs> of the thing. Um, so the dog the dog is the one the dog is the one thing from the beginning of this movie that is that is that is the thing. Right. So we know from the from almost the get go, you know, that something is wrong with the dog. And then as you kind of start to piece the put the pieces together that that there's a there's an alien creature, you know, within the first half hour that you start to realize that it's it's the dog. Right. But you don't quite know what it is. Um but as far as how the thing assimilates other other life forms is interesting. Um, I think it was in the book. I think it was in the, the snip of the book you sent me, where it said that that the thing is a perfect imposter, and given enough time, given enough time, the other dogs wouldn't have even known. Yeah that it was a creature. Right. You know, it just simply the, the, the thing had not had enough time to kind of turn into the dog that was in the kennel. Um, if it, if, if it had, you know, if it had been in that form long enough, the other dogs would have, wouldn't have even known that it was not a dog. Um, which I think is interesting. And, 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 and that kind of goes along with as well. One of the things one of the things that um, they kind of talked about on set between the actors and, and John Carpenter was that the thing, if the thing is able to be a perfect imposter, then if, if, if you, it's, it's, it's really hard to wrap my head around and I kind of love how, yeah. how, how hard it is, but, but, but basically the thing is a perfect imposter if it took the form of of you, let's say, you they didn't say this part, but you would essentially cease to exist, but the thing you would not know that you were not a thing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean basically, yeah. You 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 would no longer be a person. You would no longer be Luke. You'd be dead essentially. But the thing but, that but imitated the thing version you of you perfectly would have yes. would have your memories would have your characteristics for all intents and purposes would 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 be would think it was right, you right and yeah that's that that's kind of the interesting you know thing and and they they talk about that in in the original short story too where it's like like, like yeah basically like the the way the way they kind of talk about it in the short story is that like if yeah if you are uh, an imitation of uh, if you're the thing imitating the, and it, it's able to completely you know you know assimilate you and, and and imitate you it doesn't it thinks it's a human 
Like it, right. it kind of, you know what I mean? Uh, like to mm-hmm. to a certain to a certain degree, I guess. But but yeah, it's kind of a weird. It is there is kind of a I don't know. There, it, there's kind of a gray area. There's a there's a bit of confusion when you start to really <laughs> think about it. Um, right, that's the thing. It starts to like get to a point where becomes it's, like a mind fuck, you know, or you just like yeah, it's 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 difficult to understand and it leads to kind of like continuity issues to an extent because Blair thing is clearly malevolent. You know, Dr. Blair as the thing is like actively building UFO, right? Trying to sabotage the site. Right. True. Like it's, it's, it's acting in some, in some ways it's acting malevolently. It's not just like, you know, yeah. Kind of taking this form. Although I wonder if some of the stuff that, I mean, obviously not this spaceship building. You know, he's building that little spaceship in the shack under under the shack. But like, like you do. <laughs> but the other stuff, you could chalk up to him realizing, oh shit, I don't want to. I don't want this organism to make it out of here alive. So I'm gonna fucking sabotage any way for this thing to get out of here. You know. True. So like, I'm gonna trash the helicopter. I'm gonna trash the the snowplow, whatever the fuck that was. Um, right. So that makes sense that he would do that. Um, yeah. Because he wouldn't want any any way for the thing to possibly, you know, get out of here and get to the mainland and you know infect other people. Yeah. But yeah, the the spaceship building is kind of that doesn't add up necessarily. That that kind of throws a a wrench in the yeah. in, in the gears for that theory. Um, but there, there, there's a, there's a handful of things in this movie that are a little bit of a, you know, house of cards that, you know, you start picking at it and it kind of, you're just like, hold on. But it's, it's a delicate, you know, it's a very delicate kind of concept, I guess, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it's one of those things where if you try and nail it down too hard, yeah, it's going to be difficult to kind of fully analyze, um, but I think that's the the kind of the beauty of it too is like this thing can be whatever it wants and it's a perfect imitation and you can never really know who it is. And, and that's kind of what's, what's terrifying about it. And that, that coupled in the movie with the fact that you never pretty much all the people that you see actively turned into a th- the thing assimilated by the thing, you know, get destroyed pretty quickly but there's a number of people that are a thing behind the scenes that you never see get assimilated that you have to kind of you, – you, you just don't know. For the most part of the movie, you don't know who. You, yeah. you have no idea who is a thing. Even 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 Kurt Russell's character who is kind of for all intents and purposes the main character, um, there's there's at least one point, maybe a couple points where you're, you're maybe not sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean even at the end of the movie – you're, I mean, the thing is, is you're not really meant to know, you know, right? And and that kind of it kind of it kind of involves the audience, you know, within it. It kind of puts the audience in the place of it, within the the group of these men, you know, where like you don't know and the characters don't know, and you know what I mean. So it's like you kind of oh god, I hate that. <laughs> shit um but yeah i mean so i I, to me like it 
to me, I, I I don't think it's really meant to be overly analyzed. I think no, and I think the more you kind of you know you you look at it and you question, it, it really I think it almost just kind of reinforces the whole the themes of the movie where you, yeah. of the par- the paranoia and the uncertainty and the mistrust and and yeah. the, uh, you know uncertainty and stuff like that. It all you you become one of you become a character, you know you become like one of the characters in, in, in the movie, you know, where you don't know and, and you're unsure. And, right. and so, yeah, to me that kind of, I, I don't try to, I don't try to go too far down that rabbit hole, but. Um, so the ending. <laughs> now the, the ending is meant to be ambiguous. Right. So the final two characters alive are, Childs and, and McCready, Keith David and Kurt Russell, Mac, Mac Daddy, um, and McCready's been kind of the hero of the picture. Um, Although he's done some question, he does some questionable things. He de- he definitely does some questionable things, but he he's the one that kind of what you assume finally destroys the thing and prevents it from right. You know, leaving leaving the the site, um, but. McCready and Childs basically are the last two, and the the whole area has been destroyed. They they basically are under the impression that they're gonna they're gonna freeze to death. Like they're, they're they don't have shelter, they don't have anything. They they've blown the whole place up just to kill the thing. Right. Um. And and Childs kind of comes out of nowhere after being kind of gone for a little while, right. and McCready is not sure if he's human or not. And you're not 100 percent sure that McCready's not human. Right. Because, you know, he's kind of been down dealing with the thing. Um, so the, the whole movie kind of ends with the two of them talking. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth a on... J&B scotch. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth on, is one of them a thing? And, and that question has been posed to Kurt, uh, Kurt Carpenter. Kurt. Um <laughs> that question has been posed to john carpenter a number of times keith kurt carpenter you know for keith kurt carpenter for his for his for his interpretation and for the most part he's basically said you know it's up for interpretation however apparently at one point he kind of said he i don't know if you if you saw this but apparently at one point he basically said like i don't understand why nobody has ever noticed this but both characters are very harshly backlit in the frozen Antarctic. Kurt Russell is very obviously breathing because you can see his breath. Keith David, not so much. And so he said that a while ago as kind of a as a potential hint. Now, whether... Whether he was just, I think he was just, you know, fuck. kind of tired of answering the question. I think he was just fucking with people because then I, I, I thought that right. he kind of came out and, and he, that he's kind of flip flopped on it. And also, he has. He's he's gone back and forth a ton of times. And also, if I, I noticed in watching it, you know, this week, that you can you can still see breath coming from Keith David in that scene. Right. It's I not as I haven't gone back and watched. Yeah, but you can. You can see it. And I, yeah. I think it's just about like, it's about the positioning of the actor in that scene right. and, and the lighting and also like the background. You just can't notice it as well. And also the fact that 
I'm sure, yeah. It, it's much more noticeable. The breadth is much more noticeable with Kurt, Kurt Russell. Um, and the other thing you got to remember is like the, the picture quality that a lot of people were watching this for the longest time on, you know, VHS right. and, and, and right. shit like that, where like it gets lost in the noise, you know, you, you can't see it, but yeah. like, but yeah, I, I mean that whole, that, that whole thing to me, I, I don't know why people get so hung up on that. Cause to me, it just, it I don't doesn't either. matter. <laughs> like who cares? If this movie came out today, it would be the ending of the thing explained Yeah, would be like right. all over Yahoo news. Like why would you go see a movie that you need to read an article about how, what happened in the ending? If you're not, if you can't figure out what the fuck happened, just erase it from your brain because you should have never saw that movie to begin with. But yeah, I don't know why people are so hung up on on the end in this movie. Like, I think it's I mean, I think it's perfect the way it ends, you know, that he, you know, they did what they needed to do yeah. to to make sure that the thing didn't survive and uh and yeah, and that and that's part of the fun of it is not knowing not knowing who, no. if one of them is the thing, you know, or right. what, or whatever. Um, but, but yeah. Well, the other, the other funny thing, the other funny hint that people have kind of come up with too, is that they were using Molotov cocktails to blow up the place. And oh yeah. When Kurt Russell gave that bottle of J and B to Keith David to drink, um, <laughs> that it was a, it was actually a gasoline right, right. Molotov cocktail. And his reaction tips off McCready to the fact that he's right. he's not human because he's drinking gasoline and not right making a. But that's just I mean there's not there's not even anything in the movie to allude to the fact that that's what would happen right. again if the thing is a, a perfect you know it would still be able to taste stuff right right <laughs> you know so anyway it's just th- those sorts of links that people go to to kind of reconcile the ending of the movie is kind of funny yeah. but. I, I, I'm with you. I'm like, I don't need to have yeah, a full I, explanation of like, I, I, that's the whole point is the paranoia yeah. is leaving you with that yeah, paranoia. With like, that. It, yeah, exactly. Like you still, that, that paranoia, that uncertainty, you know, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the whole point of it. And I mean, kind of going back to the overall, you know, the, the movie overall, like it, uh, it kind of reminded me a bit of like, you know, we talked about hereditary several weeks back and um and how that movie you know from the very beginning of that movie um has a very to walk in the park has a very specific tone to it and is and and, you know we talked about the director and writer Ari Ari Aster and how like you know the whole point of that movie and, and the way he kind of like executed and designed it was like it was meant to be like you know, like doom, like it was, they, the whole family, everything was like, it was all doomed, you know, from the very start. And there was, it was all fate and there was no way, there was no way to escape it, you know? Yeah. You never really were supposed to feel like these people had any hope. And I feel like, because they didn't. Yeah. And I feel like that's how, that's how I feel about the thing too. Like from the very beginning of this movie, it's like, you know, you, you're, you've got the helicopter chasing the dog and, and you just know right away something's wrong already, you know, cause you're right. like, why the, why would they be doing this? And, you know, like there's just the, right. al- already, there's this sense that something is off and, um, yeah. and, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, we didn't really talk about this scene, but like, it's another one of my favorite scenes. I mentioned like, you know, the first half hour of the movie is like kind of has my favorite moments. But the other scene that I really love is um, when uh, McReady and the doctor, Copper, uh, go to the Norwegian camp, fly to the Norwegian yeah. camp. Um, and uh, I, lo- I, I don't know, I love that scene. Like, it's, it really made me, um, and I, I just, like I said, I've seen this movie 20 sometimes, but like, I feel like I really, uh, watching this this week i really appreciated like the production design on mm-hmm. the movie um and particularly in the in that scene at the norwegian camp like just like the way that or you mean you mean the other set that they blew yeah, up and burnt yeah. down and then just went back to it to shoot exactly. the scene of the i mean i i think that all the interior stuff when him or when like the two guys are going through there that's all original yeah. sets but yeah the outside stuff yeah they 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 basically they filmed that after like that's the burned down American research facility set right. that they went that they reused for the to be the burned down you know Norwegian facility, um, which is brilliant actually, um, but, um, but yeah I just I I don't know I love that scene like it's just it has such a great like mood and atmosphere to it like the the music and. Like I said, the production design of like the destroyed camp as they're going through the rooms and stuff like that. And it just has such a, I think actually that scene in terms of mood and tone and just kind of like the vibe that it gives off um, is, I would say, and and just that suspenseful nature to it um, is on, is on par with the scene in the original Alien when they when they get to the, when they uh, go to the ship and they make their way yeah. into the ship, like just like the, the atmosphere um, and the mood that is created in, in, in both of those, in both of those parts of those two, two, two different movies. I just, I, I love both of them so much. And, um, and yeah. And, and the other that thing that's great about that whole scene in, what? in the thing is that like, like, in, in a lot of other movies, they would have done some sort of like cheap scare yeah. somewhere in there, some kind of like, but they didn't do that. Like that there's no, like no. there's no jump scare. There's no, you're, there's no, there's nothing to break up that kind of like tension and that suspense. It's just kind of like, you know, just kind of right. You just kind of got to ride it out. And like, um, and I, I don't know, like, and I love this shot um, when like McCready calls copper into the other room and like and it's kind of like this this dolly shot moving backwards like looking at copper as he's you know walking toward the room and then it's and then it switches and it's like uh the like a kind of like a first person perspective moving forward and and then you you kind of open into the room with the the big ice block that's got the thawed out section and you know you know i just like and i love that I love the way like that that whole scene is edited and, and shot and and just the and you know Ennio Morricone's score and just like Ennio. Oh, uh, it's yeah. I diddle, 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 diddle. oh, that's extra gold. <laughs> but yeah, that's such a great and and to me that's like it's it's a it's like this, this a scene like that that to me like is like that's 
a master at work. Like that's like, you know, that, that to me is like the best of Carpenter. Like just like, just a, a scene playing out like that and executed in that way, you know, it's just to me is like so masterful and so mature too. Like, you know, and that's why kind of going back to what I mentioned like earlier in the episode is that like, I just feel like this is, this was really like Carpenter. Honestly, at the, I, to me at the height of his, like at the height of his career, um, where he was the most confident and he had the most resources and, and it's just, so it's, it just makes it, it just makes it, like I mentioned, even more tragic that it like, it was just not, you know, well received when it came out and that it kind of, yeah it, you know, it kind of ended up really altering his career path, I think, cause it really, you know, had an effect on a negative effect on him, you know? Yeah. I thought I read something somewhere where now I can't remember what it was. Maybe you read it or saw it too, where somebody said something about there was a comparison to alien somewhere. And I can't remember if it was Rob Bottin or John Carpenter well, or something, but they were like, they kind of wanted to, they said something like they wanted to make a, yeah. uh, they wanted to like capture that feeling without the, without the guy, the guy in, the in the latex yeah, suit. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. 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 That was like, yeah. yeah Carp- that was like in an interview with Carpenter where he was like, he was like, he was praising the movie. You know, he's like, oh, it's a great movie and everything. Right. He's like, but at the end of the day, he's like, it's still kind of a guy in a suit. And, right. and like, you know, and I, I totally agree with that. I actually just watched, um, rewatched the original Alien like a month ago or so, and um, and I love that movie. And it like, like I just made that comparison with you know that the the scene you know where they they go into the space the the alien ship um, is is still amazing and just it, to this day and it, it's just it's mind boggling what they were able to do, um, you know back back in nineteen seventy nine or whatever that was. Um, but yeah, he, he was basically saying that he, yeah, that's what he said. He was like, he's like, I didn't want to, you know, every, it, like basically he was saying like every, every monster movie that I had watched growing up, it was always like, it was always a guy in a suit, you know? And he was like, right. he was so thankful to, to, to make a movie, a, a monster movie of his own where it wasn't, you know, a guy in a suit like right. that. And, you know, thanks to, thanks to Rob Bottin, but, um. It's funny because there's another potential comparison to Alien 2, um, and that is, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, when when everything is burning down, Kurt Russell is in, uh, just like Sigourney Weaver, is just in uh, a tank top and a pair of panties. <laughs> no, that's not it. Um uh, no, I was going to say uh, the act the, re- realistically though the the comparison is in Alien the quote unquote titular alien titular. is um is like a parasite. You know, it's like a it's like a parasitic creature that they find on board of this other spaceship. Mm-hmm. Like the spaceship is not the, the the aliens spaceship it's a it's a different spaceship that this alien happens to have like kind of infested right and so the question and that gets into and, the, and that, that gets the, into the whole 
Prometheus shit and and all that other right. stuff. Which I we're not going yeah. that. We're not. Which going I don't even fucking route. fully understand all that. But 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 that kind of then correlates to the question of of the thing, and that is, and 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 it's it's never stated in the movie, but the question is. Is the th- so you see a spaceship in the thing? Right, 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 right. I know where you're going. Is the thing, the alien, you know, the the actual creator of the spaceship, the actual, you know, or did he imitate intelligent that? alien, yeah. or was it just imitating yeah. that life form, or was it just, or was it just like the Arctic outpost where it was just like, kind of stowed away as a as a as a as a person or life form on the ship that that then kind of you know happened to be the sole survivor of the crash to earth or whatever um or was it the actual you know piloting the ship trying to find new worlds um and you get the impression that as a as a perfect imitator that it probably wasn't yeah you know flying the ship to come to earth it was probably imitating this other life form and they went into distress somehow and fell to earth yeah. and, and the alien the, the the thing got out so it was also again very similar you know somewhat similar story there i like i like that theory that you know the the creature that is that was thrown from the the ship that the, the norwegian team dug out of the ice and thawed out that that was just an imitation too that was an imitation right. of another alien life form you know that right. who's that it was their ship that they, you know they were using because to right. me like yeah because to me like the thing whatever the thing is it it to me it's more like a virus you know it's more like something that yeah. like doesn't necessarily maybe even have a true form you know and and right. and that cuz that to me doesn't that makes more sense to me than like this chameleon like creature that would it doesn't make sense that this type of uh uh an entity would be the one to create that spaceship and you know what i mean like that that yeah. to me just doesn't add up so i like i like that idea of of you know it it having imitated an, a, this other alien life form who had this ship and it, that's what crashed there and yeah but it's another fun like you know layer to the movie that you know doesn't have that isn't explicitly stated you know and explained um and another thing that you can just kind of question and wonder about and that's you know just kind of makes it fun it's fun i thought we were here to fucking answer questions (laughs) not to just Nope. nope um so we talked about we talked about uh, Rob Bottin. We talked about the the underperformance of the movie and how it wrecked John Carpenter. Um, yeah. We talked about uh, some of our favorite scenes. Yeah. Um. What, what what else do I feel like there's something else we should talk about but I don't know um but I think that you know that we could call it we could call it could call it an episode right I mean, there who knows I mean I don't know the only other thing I'd mention is the music right 
which we kind of you kind of already hit on a little bit with the Inyo Morricone, you know. Um, but the one thing I was gonna, I you we kind of talked about the other day that I was gonna bring up is that, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where you're like, why didn't John Carpenter yeah, do yeah. the music for this movie? He's done the music for all of his other stuff. Well, it was his first big. You know his big, his first big studio, his first big studio picture, <laughs> and um, and uh, the the story that I heard, whether accurate or not, is that like literally it just didn't come up. Like the studio was didn't ask him. The studio didn't ask him if he wanted to do the music, and he didn't. I offer. just wonder if they were like not familiar enough with his past films to like realize that he had done the music for all of them you know and they right. maybe they didn't i don't know and and maybe he was just too like wrapped up in the fact that like this was going to be a big deal for yeah. him he was also that he was like i won't i'm not gonna i'm gonna focus on directing i'm not even gonna bring up right. like the other and shit like you said like this is like also the, the first the, movie the greenbow north carolina orchestra <laughs> or the fuck it was and like you were you mentioned earlier like he this is also it like you know one of his first kind of movies that he he didn't really have a hand in writing it right as well so right. you know maybe he was just like you know what this is my first big studio picture and uh my first big studio I'm picture just gonna, i'm just gonna focus and it's my biggest budget i'm just gonna focus on directing and, and not bird overburden myself you know um but yeah one of the other cool things about this movie that we haven't touched on um that kind of brought me back for some reason um is uh is just how like how they shot the movie um they wolford brimley they you know they used like they actually shot on location um in uh british columbia and in alaska mm-hmm. for some stuff and they they built like all of those all of those shots of you know the outpost the the facility um that was all they built that they built that in in the yeah. summer of 1981 in British Columbia, and then they let it get snowed on <laughs> for real, and yep. uh, and and I thought that was pretty cool. And and they, you know, so they and they did some outside, you know, shooting there on location as well. And um, but um, I thought that was that was pretty neat. And, and like when you watch the movie, like like it really does. I mean, I think that shows. Like it really does feel like you're in the arctic it doesn't feel like a yeah. studio it doesn't feel like a studio picture you know like it it, it, studio it picture. feels like you know it, it feels real it feels like you're there and um and and going along with that of like that authenticity and and stuff is like the other thing that they did and that was something else that you know carpenter had had never done uh before on any of his movies was that like he like got the group of actors that he the group of actors like the main you know all the main characters um like spent weeks together um before shooting started and they yeah. like established their characters and and the relationships between characters yeah um it's so much so that really like <laughs> they became very passionate about their these connections these bonds that they made that I was I was watching a documentary and like where uh, Richard Mazur, how how do you say his name, Dick Mazur? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was saying that like that it, that almost like it almost got to the point where it kind of like took away control from 
John Carpenter as yeah. the director, you know, like because they had become, yeah. you know, so they had made these connections, you know, with each other as actors and, and, you know, kind of playing these characters and stuff like that, that I, it sounded like from, from a, uh, other stuff I read too, that like, it was a very collaborative process with like, like just the characters and, and, and their relationships with each other's and, and with each other and, and how they kind of like with each, with each other's. other's and, um, and, and yeah, just how, and they also did a lot of like, spent a lot of time thinking about like, you know, the things that we were just, you know, talking about a little bit ago about like how, yeah. oh, well, if it's a perfect, if this thing can do a perfect imitation, like, and, you know, like really kind of drilled into it and like, you know, questioned it. And, um, and I think that's cool. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, it was a, it sounds like it was a really interesting uh, uh, filmmaking experience for, for all of the actors and for the crew and everything involved. Yeah. True story. Wolfer Brimley. Wolfer Brimley. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, I think, I, that's I think thing. that's the thing. That's the thing. That's I think the so. thing. We may never know. I, know. I could be a thing. You could yeah. be a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I'm a thing. I just want to let you know I'm a thing. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, God. Um, I'm going to stick my fingertips into your cheeks. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, and, and very quickly, like, I feel like some of the stuff later in the movie, I don't know, is a little less impressive. Um, yeah. You know, like the, the Blair creature and um, just some of the other stuff. They, 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 in, there's just so many, there's several characters that like, you just never see what happens to them. They just, they just fucking disappear and they're like, eh, well, they're gone. Um, yep. you know, like Nulls at the end. I always, I always forget as many times as I've seen this movie, I always forget who ends up. I mean, I know McCready survives and Childs, but the other characters, I always forget what, in what order they die in. Like, I, like mm. watching it again this week, I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I didn't realize Nulls and Gary were like the two other Gary. like last surviving members, you know, of the, of the group. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, like I mentioned, like there's there's the the two big set pieces for me in terms of practical effects, where like the dog kennel scene and then the the Norris kind of scene where his chest chest yeah. opens up and um, and some of the other stuff in, you know in between and after or whatever, it, to me is you know doesn't hold up as well. Um, it, I I don't know. Uh, but I think a lot of that was just, you know, budget constraints, time, time constraints. I mean, fucking Botine was like, Botine was working on this for like over a year, like seven days a week. It's, it's, it's crazy. just insane, you know? Um, but, uh, but it's, I mean, it's a, it is a great movie and I, and I, I mean, I, I still love it, you know, so much. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I um, I'm I'm. Uh, Are you crying? I'm crying. <laughs> 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 this is tears. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about it because you know it, it is it, it's this is the most I've ever discussed, like any movie that we've talked about on this podcast. 
like this is the most that I've ever discussed this movie. You know, and, you know, I've never done so at, in in this depth um, before, and so it, it's fun to it it's fun to have a movie that I've been watching for twenty years to really kind of dig into it and re. And I I did a you know read up on a lot of stuff that I and watched some documentaries and you know read the original short story and stuff like that. And so it's fun to kind of to kind of dig into it and, 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 uh, you know, read a lot of the kind of like behind the scenes and in the history behind it and stuff like, like that, because, you know, it's been a movie that has been a part of my life for so long, but, um, yeah, but yeah, and that's, what's fun about this, uh, doing the show with you. So, so now you are, crying. now I am crying. <laughs> no, but, um, but, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and this is, this is our last episode of the year. Maybe we'll be back. Yes. Maybe we'll be back in 2022. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. If, if, Only time will if tell. we're alive. I mean, we might not even, there's always that. We'll get, I could get, we, I could get things. You get assimilated mm-hmm. by the thing in that, in that period of time. You know, you just don't know. Yeah. So. You just never know. So maybe we'll see you in 2022. But, uh, thanks for listening in 2021. Yes. And we'll Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. And uh we'll scare you later. Scare you later.